Welcome to episode 6 of Wind Words, a podcast dedicated to gaming in Glorantha, the Bronze Age fantasy world featured in RuneQuest, HeroQuest and other games and art forms. We're introducing our hosts. Well, I'm Jörg. I'm Bill. And I'm Ludo, aka Lord Abdul. So we have an announcement to make. Uh, Windwards is uh, going to launch very soon the first uh, talent show for Glorantha, titled uh, Glorantha Has Talent. Uh, Bill has been putting this together for the past uh, couple of months, and it is almost ready to go out. We will be looking for uh, any kind of audio form uh, performance, uh, you know, folk songs, poetry, spoken myth, uh, jokes. Uh, you might remember the uh, joke that Bill told at the end of last episode as a little um, teaser. Oh, please don't remind him. Please don't remind him of that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, oh, Lord. There, there will be, you know, proper rules and uh, the announcement of who are the judges and the announcement of who are uh, what are the prizes going out on our website uh, and in the show notes and on BRP Central. Uh, and so those will trickle out in the next uh, few days and weeks. The contest is going to run for the next two episodes. So we hope that by episode uh, uh, eight, we will be able to announce some lucky winners. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, we have a, a second little example submission that you can uh, listen to and uh, try to beat with your own submission. A Ludox story. We have always lived in these waters as long back as the memory songs and dances can tell. But these waters have not always been here, as the tales of uh, Sky River Titan and Coral Linter will tell you. But when our waters found their place here, we took over the bottoms and the tidal zones, as is our birthright. We cheered on the rivers as they once again invaded into the dry parts and carried down the wealth of food and magic. Many had hidden underground when their source in Farolinto had dried out, and now a new duty to collect the free waters of Hela, the Severed One, and return them to the seas. There were humans here during the Greater Darkness, some sheltering in the dry place in the estuary of Angus's River, some huddling with the nuclear allies of Coralinto. They welcomed the return of the waters and accepted our sovereignty. The Wertagi came in the dark, in the Grey Age. Proud sorcerers, semi-immersed in their subdued sea dragons and lesser ships. They are ancient kin from the west, where can't swim no more. We made a compact, sealed by marriages, and so did the humans of the Mercy Bay. Coralinta would allow their tidal waves to carry in their city ships, but those waves haven't been seen or tasted for centuries. After the Vertagi and Akin had been burned by the impossible fires of Tanyan, summoned by the Jostelli sorcerers, humans started sailing the seas as if they owned their surface. Our little cousins in the Sea had ancient treaties with the people of the Slanton River Valleys, and respecting those, we allowed the Slantons to lord over our human subjects for a while. 
But then something struck down the blue swimmer of the sky, caught the boat planted by the humans, and a strange magic crept over the seas, closing it to all naval travel. The closing even affected the Vertagi when they returned to vengeance on the descendants of the Drustelli, who burnt their kin and fleet. Then, in the fourth century of the closing, received a gift from the seas, when Bilintar the stranger swam ashore in the Rider Miles. Blue of skin, Bilintar came as a friend of the seas, and his great magics included those that allowed Akin to swim across parts of the dry land, as if it was covered by sea. When he raised Loon Island, to uh, found a city of wonders, he made sure, uh, made sure that we could swim freely through the submerged caves and cross over into the dry parks of the city. Bellantar's recent failure to return from death was a hard blow to us, but maybe it was the last part of his contributions to bring back the Blue Planet, which happened just last year. Now, folks, it's time to gather in the town center. The Herald's Podium is where the members of the tribe listen to the news of the world. Young lad, well, what's this? <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. We uh, we we interrupt this uh, Herald's Podium to mention that uh, there is a new uh, newsletter in town. Ah, uh-huh. do tell. Well, actually, more than uh, one. There should be. Uh, um, by the time you listen to this podcast, there should be three out. I don't know. We're pretty slow with these things. <laughs> <laughs> you can. Uh, but yeah, there is. Uh, we are now putting out a, a newsletter via our website and via email, and it's called uh, Wind Whispers where uh, you will find all the news about uh, Glorentha goodness in your inbox or in your RSS feed or however you consume those things. We we give shout outs to our friends in the Johnstown Companion. Hi! Mm-hmm, um, yeah. If we understood Finnish, I'm sure we would give many more shouts out to our Finnish friends um, who are <laughs> also podcasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we give. Uh, I mean, shout out to anybody doing uh, cool stuff there. Uh, and the the reason we uh, started this newsletter is mostly because uh, the you know the news section was starting to get bigger and bigger. Uh, Heavy. Yeah. I mean, who knew that a niche, a niche topic like Glorantha would warrant uh, you know that, that that there would be so much <laughs> stuff happening. Uh, yeah. Month. <laughs> well, um, uh, another thing is that we want to get uh, time-sensitive stuff out in time, and whenever we record a session like this one, it's in a temporal limbo for about a week. So whenever we have something uh, imminent, like Gen Con right now, we can't say whether uh, whether we will be in time uh, for you to listen to this. So mm-hmm. if we have it out in writing, you will be able to see it. Especially since the, the our release schedule for the episode is uh, rather erratic. <laughs> uh, young lad, young lad, here's a couple of clacks for your trouble. I'll take an issue of that. <laughs> yeah, we we don't take clacks. We uh, we only take uh, proper things like cows and. Uh... <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Get it back. Um, uh, Elmo, please bring bring out the cow. <laughs> 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 okay, now that we've gotten absolutely silly, I, I'm sure that we really have a reason why we're here. 
but I mean, it's not because we've got a newsletter that we can still talk about uh, the things that uh, we really care about. So we will still have a bit of a new section in the episode where we talk about uh, what we consider would be the highlights uh, of the month. Uh, and for everything else, well, you can um, you can subscribe to the newsletter. But uh, so, what were your highlights of the month, Bill? Briefly, because um, much more information is available again on the newsletter and in a more timely way. Chen Con um, this week, starting on Thursday, which will be July the thirtieth, uh, for the folks of you on the green and blue marble. Mm-hmm. Gen Con, well, as this is the granddaddy of them all, I'm sure. One of the ones that go right back to the beginning. They've uh, moved online, but that's not all of the news. Really quickly, um, let's move over to the interesting thing. COVID-19 is on the run and uh, the land's down under. Our Antipodean friends in New Zealand are having a, ready for this, live convention, face-to-face. I'm sure it's going to be masked. It's going to be interesting to have a look at. We will have details for both of these conventions and anything else convention-wise in our new newsletter. Ludo. Uh, yeah, I think one of the highlights for me was uh, Chaosium's new RuneQuest live play videos on uh, well on Twitch and, and YouTube. Uh, I mean, it's notable because uh, it's well the first uh, official look of uh, how the Chaosium people play RuneQuest. Have you uh, have you watched it, uh, Bill and Yurik? Not yet. No. I have uh, um, it on my list. I could. I, I was up at uh, three o'clock in the morning, ready to watch it. Uh, b- had my account uh, ready, and I couldn't log into it when it came out on Twitch. Uh, I found out later uh, that. Uh, it was pay-per-view, hadn't been announced, but luckily it's also available on YouTube. We've got all the specifics on it, so you can check that out. Yeah, it's on it's on YouTube. I think they fixed it, and now, uh, if I remember correctly, the, the new Twitch episodes, you can also watch it on Twitch. But uh, uh, I want to uh, ask you about something like, uh, so I watched the first two episodes, uh, and so it's it's kind of fun, you know, the, the, the players are basically... Um, Argrath companions in in Pavi, uh, since apparently we say Pavi uh, based on what our guests said in back in episode uh, <laughs> four or something, and so they're about Pavis. to Pavis, my good man, is how we sophisticated and posh folks say it. Pavis, um, and uh, so yeah, they're about to uh, charge and uh, take um, and take the town back from the sorry, Ludo. Yeah, what? <laughs> Well, uh, apologies, Ludo. We, we we totally sidetracked you. Uh, it's all <laughs> no, our fault. Jorg and I will take total blame for this. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Jeff Richard is the is the GM, and he's using uh, a bunch of you know house rules and and things like that. Uh, so what do you think about using house rules for uh, an official you know Chaosium branded uh, life play? What do you have any opinions on that? Like good, bad? Don't care. Hmm. Well, I well, have opinions, definitely. Then uh, give them. <laughs> oh, no, no, you're after you. Okay, well, um, I think uh, whatever makes the GM more comfortable in his uh, presenting the game should be done. Yeah, uh, the GM has work in his uh, shoulders and will be making mistakes as the evening goes along. Um, I recently played a live-action game. I was helping the GM who was a new uh, GM along. And I made a couple of mistakes in my calls. What do you do? Hand wave him away. Explain to your players, look, we're humans. Nobody died. 
We'll get free resurrection if necessary. (laughs) (laughs) The story is the thing, isn't it? Uh, Okay, let's turn this around. Uh, Nice of you to give us a a shot at it. Obviously, you've got opinions. Uh, I'm not sure yet what I think about it. Um, I mean, I I guess it depends, yeah, if, if you want to showcase the world and the story or if you want to showcase you know the game as a whole or it's it's a bit tricky because um i mean these days a lot of people turn to live plays to see how a game works before buying it or before playing it so if if you watch you know people playing rune quests and they're not using strike ranks and then you go like oh you know this is cool the, the combat looks pretty easy and and uh, and pretty straightforward and then you buy the book and you see all this stuff about strike ranks you're gonna go like oh what the fuck like i i don't remember all this crunch when i was watching it so i'm kind of conflicted about it and i understand that uh, confliction i think um, um it's uh, well worth having how would let's 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 throw this into a uh, galaxy far far away in another time <laughs> california the 60s, uh, 70s actually, but you know, pretty close to the 60s. Uh, California is on a different time schedule than the rest of us. What was Stafford doing with uh, Wills um, and uh, the Turney brothers and the Perines, mm-hmm. Perrins? What, what was he doing? I'm pretty sure there's a lot of hand wavium going on. Oh, well, I, I've always been surprised that uh, Stafford really like went with a crunchy system like uh, no doubt. <laughs> i mean especially since my understanding of his jamming style was that uh he is making you go through this story for like two hours and a half and then occasionally makes you roll is my understanding of how he he, he uh, led games well, that's how it, that's how we ran yeah, the hero uh, quest yeah but uh, uh but rune quest also apparently i'm not sure uh that's why uh <laughs> I, I, where I'm divided is exactly where you're divided. If they're showing it to uh, the newcomers, maybe they should be a little bit more exacting on the rules. But uh, I mean, you can tell that this is a group that's been going for a while, so it's not uh, it's not surprising that they have you know house rules and and uh, and you can you you know that uh, Jeff is is more of a uh, uh, he's not a rules lawyer; he's like the opposite. So, uh, but anyway, so yeah, I'm I'm not sure exactly what you think yet. Um, but uh, at least I'm happy that there is a RuneQuest live play officially. And where do our German friends lie on this one? I guess uh, many of the Germans are actually rule players and uh, would like to see uh, (laughs) a rule-by-rule exposition, but yeah, we can do that in German language if we need it. (laughs) So the the German YouTube is uh, full of... uh, uh, of by the book, uh, life place. No idea, really. I'm a Glorantha fan, and <laughs> there is no German Glorantha YouTube, uh, not yet. <laughs> well, maybe I'll have to start one. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, speaking of uh, German uh, YouTube, uh, here you have some German YouTube to talk about. Yeah, actually, it's uh, something uh, similar to Twitch uh, when you watch it live. Um, there's a German uh, channel called Orkenspalter TV. Ork Cleaver TV. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And that sounds like a Warhammer thing. Yeah, I don't know uh, which ex- uh, which system they come exactly from. Orkenspalter sounds a bit like the, uh, the Dark Eye. 
But okay, yeah. I won't uh, suspect anyone uh, before I have uh, hard evidence uh, of using that system. <laughs> well, Dark Eye was the, the first system I played with. I, I didn't even know that it was called a role-playing game and that there were others like it. <laughs> yeah, it was my second and uh, I didn't play it for long. <laughs> yeah, I, I know your feelings about it. <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, so what well, was on that uh, thing? Uh, this was a very nice uh, uh, community session with Lynn Hardy, Jeff Richard, John Wick, and Mike Mason, together with the two presenters. And they talked about all the things Chaosium, which were happening in the last time. And uh, Jeff and the others gave some future um, uh, plans and way too. So it's shock full of uh, Chaosium information. Cool. Anything uh, new and exciting that we haven't heard about before? Uh, some confirmation of rumors, mainly, I think. Ooh, do tell. Ooh, uh, calling me on uh, Ford's, uh, Ford's foot. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe don't tell. And uh... Convention news is done. Johnstown Compendium news. Yeah, Johnstown Compendium. So there's a, a, big, uh, a big policy change or policy uh, streamlining that happened recently. And this is about the uh, print-on-demand policy on the Johnston Companion because uh, there was a bunch of items from Johnston Companion that came out on print-on-demand, like uh, a rough guide to glamour, uh, Valley of Plenty, I think uh, Six Season in Sartar also. But anyway, so apparently Drive-Thru RPG and One Bookshelf, the parent company, uh, made it clear that this was uh, kind of a resource problem on them and to stay in their good graces, Chaosium enacted a rule that only Electrum sellers were able to ask for a print-on-demand option on drive to rpg which, uh, which I think is fair. I think uh, Electrum... Well, especially when you yeah. stop and consider the fact that uh, Dungeons & Dragons um, is not able to do this at all and it's um open a gaming license um with um, one bookshelf yeah yeah um i, I mean we were, we were kicking their butt on that one as well i guess uh we we know that our hobby is kicking its uh, butt in many ways so we won't go there <laughs> yeah yeah so uh i think you have to be electrum seller and i think uh, what is electrum seller again i think it's uh... 250 i believe yeah. um at least yeah, now, yeah. 250 sales yeah yeah uh there's a there's a few on the on the johnston compendium that uh that did get past that yeah, easily if, you, if uh, yeah. I looked at well, there's 52 uh, odd items uh, last count that I made, and I'm fairly sure that most of those have made it um, into Electrum. I guess, or will be uh, very soon. Yeah. yeah, I looked into uh, into the overall uh, community uh, section of Transform Compendium this week, and uh, the first six positions were all uh, taken up by the Transform Compendium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that may have to do with the discount they were running. Now, our friend Austin Conrad's uh, pretty bold. He's already announcing that uh, he'll be um, involved in uh, the uh, Electrum. Now, either he knows uh, something that we don't know. Have a look at his uh, rumor in uh, the newsletter of uh, Wind Whispers 2, was it? Uh, yes. For a bit more detail? <laughs> you should know. That's the one you wrote. <laughs> oh, come on. That was last week for crying out loud. Um, what day is it? Yeah. Uh, who knows anymore these days? Um, but yeah, uh, so an interesting bit of uh, behind the scenes stuff is that apparently, I mean, drive RPG is a very 
PDF-focused uh, business, right? So apparently, uh, the reason the print-on-demand side of the business is is a bit taxing on them is because uh, they mostly have to do it manually. Like they don't have much setup uh, automatically with their printer, uh, like their uh, offset printer uh, provider. And so, uh, for any print-on-demand thing that happens, they need to. Uh, collate some Excel spreadsheet and send it every uh, every couple of days to the printer uh, and then uh, ship that to people. Uh, and so that's why they can't have too many print-on-demand uh, items, which is interesting because a lot of the Glorantha fans are kind of like old school people who are like, oh, you know, I want real paper, um, I want real dead tree, and they, they're not too much into the PDF. And so that's why there's been uh, apparently <laughs> a little catch 22. Well, yeah, especially because... Ah, but uh, Nick, Brooks, um, Nick Brook has proved that the technology is available. One can possibly order a PDF now and possibly uh, apply the cost of the PDF to the POD later, should yeah, it occur. Even, it can even be done. That, even that is uh, an ongoing debate between the Johnstone Companion authors because a lot of them are saying that, you know, the, the people who are waiting for the uh, Electrum seller threshold to be passed in order to buy the bundle, they're not really supporting them because they're just holding out. And so uh, uh, I saw a few discussions okay, about... Okay, you uh, grognards. Yeah. So, uh, okay, you grognards. Learn how to use your accessibility uh, counters on your computer. Get that uh, font a little bit bigger and learn how to do the PDF. Otherwise, we ain't going to get no POD. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if nobody, if if everybody waits for the for the for the print on demand, then the print on demand never comes. Uh, and and the other thing is that uh, not everybody is going to bundle the two together. I mean, uh, this is it, true. It, it, it is uh, actually there's only a few companies in the industry who do uh, the kind of you know free PDF with the book. Uh, there's a bunch of other companies that don't and they you know they consider that the pdf has intrinsic value i mean the pdf is searchable it doesn't get water damage and it doesn't take and space. if you have it in a ziploc sealed pd um uh, pdf mylar case for it this is eminently <laughs> a collectible yeah. i have every one of our um, podcasts signed sealed kissed by your himself <laughs> and delivered <laughs> yeah but so, uh, um, I, so I'm selling a few off the back um, if anybody's interested. Oh. Well, uh, uh, <laughs> no, no, um, we're in COVID times, so I didn't kiss them, or if I did, I uh, yeah. disinfected them afterwards. <laughs> he did have a surgical <laughs> mask on, I watched him do it, but no matter what he does. <laughs> uh, okay, we've really gone out of control here, guys. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, to me, it's interesting because I'm expecting a lot of, uh, well, a fair amount of complaining when we see some uh, some Johnston Companion authors offer a bundle and some don't. And I mean, I totally support the ones who don't because um, it's, uh, I mean, it is sold on Drive to RPG and it's about PDF. And I, I consider that PDFs have intrinsic value. Uh, so, but I think it's going to be interesting to see how this you know little niche market uh, evolves in the in the next couple months yeah yeah i mean you, you guys you, you you guys are old but you still like pdfs right you're you're kind of the uh, the ones who got on with the times 
Uh, well, uh, PDF is uh, possibly my least favorite uh, digital format, but yes, I'm going with PDF. Uh, what's that you say there, Sonny? <laughs> uh, can you speak up a wee bit? I, I got my ear right to the microphone here, and I can't hear a word you're saying. Actually, I mean, actually, Bill, you should appreciate that PDFs are better for accessibility, you know? Um, to tell you the truth, I have my computer set up where I have not a partition, but a whole directory totally devoted to um, RuneQuest. Um, I've got uh, smart folders set up to uh, take all of my PDFs and uh, give me information out of them. My search uh, revolves around PDF. I yeah. like having them both. Uh, I'll tell you something, taking my iMac into the washroom and have, sitting it on my lap just isn't the same as taking a book. There's no two ways about it. Sure. I have yet to try to reading this in the bathtub. <laughs> well, so the, the one thing, and I mean, this is not accessible to everybody because of the price tag on those tablets, but I really came to enjoy PDFs only after I bought an iPad Pro because uh, the iPad Pro, uh, or I guess the Surface also works, they're like 12 inch tablets, which means that the tablet size is pretty much the same as the physical book size. And so you have more or less the same um, uh, experience, like you don't have to zoom or pan or anything. Uh, and so it's only b back when I had like a, a smaller tablet, I just didn't like um, a PDF. So, but of course not everybody can buy a big 12 inch tablet, but anyway. Cool. Um, any more thoughts on the print on demand policy? And No, uh, what I'm thinking though is, uh, you know, you know what time it might be getting near? Uh, Not yet. Well, before before we shake some dice, before ooh, we shake some dice, uh, maybe we'll give out a few uh, shout out to uh, the uh, most notable new releases on the Jotpon Compendium quickly. So, what do you have that caught your eye? Yeah, um, seeing that Sandhart's getting remakes. What about what's about what's that about? I'm actually a, a bit involved, so I can talk about it. Uh, I've got some because uh, I I had one illustration in Sandhart Volume Three uh, tradition, and uh, as I was noting to uh, Jonathan, the author, um, that wow, you know, Volume Three has a lot more fancy illustrations uh, than the first two. Uh, he was saying that, yes, we are actually remaking the first two to make them as pretty as the third one. And he's, get, he's getting some help from uh, Nick Brook, actually, for the layout. And so the first two volumes will get uh, remastered. Uh, and there will be actually a couple more illustrations from me in, uh, and, and a map also. Uh, and so hopefully the, all three volumes will be uh, just as pretty. So, Bill, what about you? Well, Secrets of Dora story comes to mind. Uh... I wish I had more details on it. York has just bought it. Um, I'm definitely going to buy it as soon as I get the cash for it. It seems to me that Simon Phipps, the author, has lived in Dorastor for the past few decades. Uh, his webpage has got large sections that have been devoted to this territory. You know that if uh, Simon Phipps is going to be digging up secrets, it's going to be good. It's going to be interesting. Wish we could give you more details, which is why this is uh, going into a rapid fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just skimmed uh, the PDF, but there is a big bestiary, and it's full of nasty things. Yeah. I got the impression that this is going to be nastier than the stuff Sandy Peterson put out for Dora Store, and that was uh, <laughs> Call of RuneQuest. 
So, uh, yes, uh, but I don't think that Simon Fipp is all at home in Dorastor because uh, on BRP Central, he uh, told about the uh, campaign where Mellow Yellow, the baboon from Sun County, became Emperor of Tarahapa. <laughs> the baboon emperor? How did uh, Michael O'Brien, uh, the author of that, uh, get a hold of uh, Mellow Yellow? Uh, well, uh, Mike uh, created Mellow Yellow and Simon took it over as a player character. Oh, it was his character? No, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. I know uh, Michael O'Brien has used uh, Mellow Yellow in a couple of um, freely available uh, products um, beyond uh, this um, Mad Max Beyond the Sun Dome, four metal uh, packs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Harpoon Squad from Sun County. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, maybe one last uh, highlight on the Genstone Companion. Well, uh, the community obviously uh, contains some uh, professionals, as John Wick has uh, produced uh, an item on John's Sound Companion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the John Wick. <laughs> the, the John Wick. Um, are you referring to Keanu Reeves? No, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking. I mean, that's the only John Wick. Oh, that's the, right. the, more the, co the cooler one. Uh, watch, yeah, the, uh, nicer the cooler one. one. Watch him on Spider TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I don't know why he. Uh, the one that won't poke your eyeball out with a pencil when you ask him for an autograph. I understood. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not sure why he didn't uh, keep his scenario under the. like to be published in some upcoming official Chaosium book. That's. Curious, maybe, maybe impatience. Oh, maybe. Let's take out our, our dice and our GM books because it's time to roll on the rumor table. We will learn and speculate about what's coming up in the world of Glorantha. Well, indeed. Our first roll on the table. I get my squinty eyes up, put my glasses on, and I roll an 84. Can you uh, see the table from uh, your ankle? Here, I'll turn it toward you. Uh, counts and heroes of recent Sun County history. What's that? Bill? I haven't got a clue. It looks rather fascinating, though. No, I mean it. It, it brings up it brings out Michael O'Brien in the first place, uh, but the uh, mighty uh, vice president of Chaosium to um, call out one of his old comrades from Tales of the Reaching Moon, Mark Baldwin. Now, I haven't got a ton of information on this. This, uh, th this is this is rumor, man. I mean, what can I say? The rumor is there's a work in progress about historical figures from Sound County history immortalized in marble. Maybe we can buy a marble statue of uh, Zach's art? Yeah. I mean, oh. pe people will be able to look at the picture in the show notes, obviously, uh, but it looks like one of the pic one, one of those statues looks like uh, Jason Dural. Uh, uh, <laughs> and and yeah. another statue looks maybe like Jeff Richard? Well, I thought I saw a certain uh, president of Chaosium there, but that may just have been uh, some imagination, or we just lost our marbles. <laughs> well, we'll we'll see when those uh, statues come out. Uh, guys, it's been a long time since we listened to some feedback that was sent to us. 
How about we do that? We will definitely move on to later. Boy, we're anxious today. We're jumping to gun left, right, and center. I think there's one more rumor. Um, check uh, can your, you uh, roll? Can, can you roll for me? Because I forgot my dice. Oh, good word. <laughs> you see, we, we are unprepared this week because... Never go to a pistol fire dress arm with a dagger. Well, never go to a rumor table without your dice. <laughs> uh, what's, what's I roll, roll a mighty 25. And now I'll pass the rumor table over to uh, my uh, comrade uh, to my left here. Doodle twenty five. It says you. Did you remember back in what was it like twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen when uh, uh, the fine folks at campaign? Ludo, Ludo, Ludo. We just had this conversation where I couldn't remember what I wrote last week. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's Good true. story. Go That's on, uh, but yeah, the people at Campaign Coins who do uh, a bunch of little props for um, game masters and players, mainly, uh, well, as their name implies, uh, coins, so that you can have your, you know, your gold pieces and copper pieces and all that for your D&D games. But they had uh, done some, um, they had done some uh, prototype for Glorenta coins. So like, you know, golden wheels, lunars, clacks, even bulgs, the, the troll uh, currency. Based on the page in the guide? Yes, exactly. Uh, so the, those prototypes looked exactly like that, but it wasn't sure if they were going to make a real product. Well, apparently it's coming. Uh, it's going to come out for Gen Con this week. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to order them on their website. So we will get uh, actual clacks and lunars at the table, and that's going to be totally ah. awesome. That will devalue my uh, counterfeit leaden uh, lunar I got from conversion back then. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we were talking about feedback. Uh, we did get any letters, did we? Uh, yeah, we got a couple. So, Bill, who is the first letter from? The first letter comes to us from Brent S., a newcomer to BRP Central. Hopefully, uh, we'll be getting many more letters uh, from um, as time goes along. Let's, uh, let's give it a listen. Hey, team. I'm really enjoying the podcasts. Your knowledge of Glorantha and your enthusiasm are infectious. I played a lot of RuneQuest in my youth in the 80s and only recently returned to Glorantha as a reader, although I am flirting with running it again. Despite the wealth of information that is now available for Glorantha and the quality of the wonderful new material that is being created, Cults of Prax is still my favourite Glorantha publication. A groundbreaking work, so much richer, deeper and more mature than its contemporaries. It grabbed my attention, fired my imagination and made me a Glorantha convert. Above all, I loved the excerpts from the travels of Paturian Varosh. Beautifully written and utterly evocative, they informed my understanding of Glorantha in the way they married the mundane with the exotic, mystic and magical. A world grounded in realism, but infused with wonder. More than that, it gave me a template for my own far-travelled and well-loved character, and Azari's initiate who achieved her desert tracker status at the culmination of years of hard adventuring. Peturian's revelation in dealing with Elanco, my associate, was also a revelation to me, and still affected me deeply on rereading it recently. But I'll leave that there in case you get to that scene in a future episode. There's no better introduction to the tone of Glorantha than Baturian's story, and I think you can't go wrong in covering more entries from his journal. My fandom aside, my first thought when you were discussing the possible origin of sugar in Genetella was sugar beets. 
In Australia, we source our sugar from Queensland sugarcane, and I've always believed it to be a tropical or subtropical crop. Being of Canadian heritage, I'm also no stranger to maple syrup. However, I understood that much of Europe's and North America's sugar is processed from sugar beets, which are more suited to temperate climates, like the Dragon Pass region. It's a relatively modern commercial crop, but I imagine it was developed from older wild variants. Maybe a readier source of that luxury commodity for a canny Azari's merchant and a sweet-toothed Stormcarn. Keep up the good work. Brent, a.k.a. Brigid Fairhand. Well, fantastic. That's awfully nice of you to say. Um, we're, yeah, thanks, we're happy. We're, we're happy if the feedback should come our way um, negative um, as well. I mean, anything that helps us um, get better, <laughs> but just, wow. Let, let's not ask for the negative feedback. <laughs> well... <laughs> We're happy to get feedback. Yes, we yeah. are. And it's, it's, it's lovely when it's as nice as this. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm happy that the the topic of uh, sugar and sugar trade was uh, was interesting. And uh, and if uh, Brent liked uh, bitter and varos, then we've got some nice surprise for him this episode. Wow. <laughs> hmm. That sounds like a wee bit of a uh, foreshadowing. Just a tiny bit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just just a touch. Cool. Well, that's yeah, that's awfully decent of you there, lad. Glad, uh, yeah, I'm I'm exactly where you're at, and so is Jorg when it comes right down to it. We we both were playing um in the uh, well, Jorg in the '90s, me in the '80s, and we've come back to it recently and gone wow. Jorg Bluto uh, is a uh, relatively new to it, but you've been gaming since the '90s yourself, haven't you? Uh, yes, but very new to Glorantha. And diving right in with both feet, as you can see. Yeah, that'd be crazy like that. Cool. Um, do we have another letter? We do. The wonderful and uh, fabulous uh, Pookie. The, the Pookie? None other. Uh, the uh, reviewer extraordinaire and... Uh, and player of non-boring live games. Uh, GM of non-boring live games. Yeah. <laughs> no? This is true. Let's give it a listen. Gentlemen, this is Pookie from Reviews from Relier, uh, where you'll find reviews of many of the titles you've highlighted in your coverage of the Johnstown Compendium. I've been catching up with episodes of your podcast on my daily walks, and I wanted to express my gratitude for the effort you're putting in into making Wing Words an entertaining and informative podcast. In particular, I want to thank you for mentioning the playthrough of the Broken Tower um, that I ran for... Uh, Chambers of Roleplay, and I'm glad that Bill especially found it entertaining. Um, also, the discussion of cows and cattle raids in episode 5 was most illuminating, and I shall probably be referring it, referring to it again when the players in my campaign decide to go on a cattle raid, or I get round to writing a cattle raid-themed hero quest I have an idea for. Thanks again for the podcast, and I look forward to hearing more episodes. Thank you, Pookie. That's awfully decent. Um, I'm glad that you're taking advantage of us on your walks. I mean, Ludo, any comment on uh, how um, how we're being listened to? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's exactly how uh, people should listen to us, you know, doing the dishes, <laughs> walking the dog. Uh, but yeah, thanks, uh, Pookie, for the feedback. Uh, we will try to keep being entertaining and interesting. And, uh, and yeah, uh, thanks for mentioning the, the cattle raid. We uh, really tried to make it useful for GMs and players, like, you know, practical use. Not a single person has pointed out the uh, one big gaping hole in the middle of our... Uh, I, I mentioned this to York the other day. Do you, do you know what it is, Lou? 
big gaping hole in the middle of our uh, cattle raid. Oh, what is it? The one thing that I made sure did not become too important. Combat. Any fork can come up with the combat for a cattle raid. Yeah. I wanted to have a look at the uh, ramifications. I wanted to have a look at the buildup for it. Well, thanks, guy. In Moonbroth, I saw a scribe who took my coins and listened to my speech. And then he made odd chicken scratches with a stylus and a soft clay. These are the words the tablet spoke to my beloved in far off as Rolia, far from these uh, desert lands, when they hardened and when they dried and were passed uh, through uh, the caravans that traveled to Zerolia, to the mouth of a greybeard who then spoke them to her. Ah, uh, if only they were my lips. Ariella, beloved, travels with this strange caravan through these um, strange lands are rough. The night is brutal, cold. Our water skins freeze when left out, so we have to keep them near to our body's uh, warmth. Oh, and during the day, the horrible desert winds steal away one's warmth straight from uh, one's bones in this horrible, long, cold, dark season. Worse is when the wind carries the red sands from the dead place to scour raw and red and bleeding our flesh. The master of the caravan, Beturian, I told you about him in our last uh, travels, is as strange as is his entourage. Oh, the slave girl is well-behaved and a hard worker, straight enough, about the age of her daughter, but more self-possessed, um, assured. But the slave boy, odd, just odd. He kept to himself, which is okay. Now, round this off with a dozen mules, ornery, and a score of ornery er and lazier and ruder baboons, myself and the two companions who said they had sworn not to return to plod these sands, instead only to soar above, well, here we are again, and there you have our happy, cold, and wind-whipped menagerie. Uh, but, love, we have traveled the ways of heroes. We have entered the earth itself, the tales I could tell, and will. As we waged war with darkness primal, we will soon see uh, the holiest of the Humacti temples, maybe even witness a um, heroic clash of titans, who knows? Uh, the tales I, I will weave and sell. And sell, love. Think of the baubles that we will buy. We will bathe daily in treasure. And believe me when I say, I cannot wait until our land is far beneath my feet again to be sailing the winds in a good ship, sails billowing full of imagination. Very stuff applied itself. And then one day, adventures complete, I imagine myself winging my way back to your arms again. Until then. So, welcome to a second trip with Biturian and his uh, friends and foes. Uh, as the letter above states, we will be examining the Peps, Tourney Altar and Moonbroth this episode with our intrepid travelers, one of them uh, being the author of that letter, I guess. So, mm -hmm. on to the Peps. Uh, before we get there, we have a nice image of the entrance of the te Earth Temple of the Peps. Uh, courtesy of Martin Helsen and his uh, book Towers and Cities, uh, available on Johnstown Companion. Uh, is it the Temple and Towers? T well, Temple and Towers, sorry. <laughs> Correcting uh, Bjorg. Oh, you're, 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 getting, you're getting points for that. You understand that. <laughs> How well, many people get to I, do that? <laughs> I don't get a lot of uh, credit because I had the PDF open right now. So. <laughs> Well, whatever it takes to beat Jorg. If it takes a little bit of a memory aid, let's go with it. 
Let's let's take a quick look. Uh, we're, we're talking Prax, um, which is a savannah country near the Great Wastes, um, uh, an area traumatized during the God Wars. Its earth goddess, uh, goddesses and gods mostly killed. In this area, the earth goddess um, is represented by the herd mother, which kind of makes sense. This is a very much a tribal area that does an awful lot of herding of uh, beasts. Um, they're very close to their beasts. They've got a covenant and a pact with the, their, the main god and how beasts and man have divided their, their chores and whatnot. Yeah, it all makes sense. Now, the Paps itself is uh, the uh, center of the religion of the earth representative here, the herd mother, Aretha. Reading a little bit uh, from uh, Victorian's travels, uh, we uh, come to um, uh, see uh, that he has arrived during dark season, a time of sorrow for the earth. Um, the middle circus of the earth ceremony occur within the Paps. Underground, where worshippers are then taken into the world of God time, where they can view the inner courses and spirituality of the deities, reflect upon them. This is a dangerous rite, for during um, it, the worshippers risk darkness invasion from the of the sacred area. Such an invasion took place with great fury, as if um, it were hell itself. Now, we'll get we'll get to that eventually. Let's uh, take a quick uh, boo here um, at the cult. Carrying on with Bucherian's writings. The cult here is an earth cult and thus shares many traits with other earth worshipping um, regions. But in paths, they revere Aretha as the center of worship rather than an altar in the holy country and Sartre. However, I had little trouble convincing the respected elder that I was indeed a lay uh, my member of the religion. And after so proving, they welcomed me and blessed me. And after that, at dawn and uh, dusk, I could see pixies darting and sparkling about the area. All right, we've entered into a magical area. Uh, Rather interesting. Uh, we've uh, the last time I dealt with the magical area, it was Hender's ruins, and we had to go into some really obscure areas to find that uh, it might have been a portal. Here, we're going to find out very quickly we have a portal. There's absolutely no two ways about it into another place. But uh, before we get to that, respected elder, that's kind of interesting. Um, let's uh, let's have a quick look at that. Uh, Again, uh, there's a reason uh, why I was mentioning that Yorg um, is a hard one to fool. He is our sage master. Any comments about respected <laughs> elder? What, what, what does this uh, honorific mean? Well, the most respected elder is the chief priestess of the Paps. And uh, she's usually from one of the five big tribes. And the current one is one from the darkness tribe. She's a Moroccans. Igaya, true of flesh. Interesting. And uh, more interesting than that, uh, a, a little <laughs> foreshadowing. Yeah, uh, Ludo, <laughs> you, you sound like you got a little bit to weigh in on um, on that. Uh, no, no, yeah, I was I was surprised to discover that the uh, the current priestess, at least at the time of of Beturian, was a Morocanth. Because, uh, uh, well, I guess we should talk a bit about the Morocanth if uh, some people are not quite familiar. It's one of the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's do so. We one of one of the great <laughs> tribes. Yeah, it's one of the great tribes, and it's uh, most of the other tribes. The humans won kind of won the um, uh, the covenant, covenant. of Waha, where right. the humans are herding the animals. Uh, the Moroccans uh, were the ones who won it for their tribe. So the Moroccans are some kind of tapir-looking. Oh, those dark Californians in, uh, inventing games, <laughs> yeah. and and they herd the humans. I've heard I've heard a human or two. I'm he hearing a couple talking. Oh, that's not what we're talking about. No, <laughs> sorry. 
Yes. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll hit mute again. My bad. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's kind of uh, interesting to see that uh, there's a Morocanth in uh, in power and uh... the surprises of the fact that it's going to come up now. Keeping in mind that if they are members of the Covenant of Waha, which I say that some must eat and some must be eaten, otherwise all will starve. Um, they have a fair right to, to it, uh, to, to being in the paps. They also uh, would be respected, like if the father god is Waha, the mother god um, and the earth god, of course, has to be Arethia. Yeah. yeah. I also want to point out that Bitterin didn't convince the most respected elder. He convinced the respected elder, which is one of the 10 priestesses that are just below the most respected elder, like the report to the... Do we, do we know who this person is? Well, I don't really know who that would be, uh, but maybe because, uh, what's her name? Uh, the um, Norayib. Yeah, Norayib. She's from the Bison tribe, right? So maybe he convinced the respected elder of the Bison tribe to take part in the rites. Not necessarily required. All they have to do is uh, really convince uh, that they have uh, the right to... This is a middle secrets now. And we will yeah, get yeah. into that a little bit more in, uh, in uh, the future. What do we really want to do now? Have we have we have we had a very good look at this uh, Melder uh, question, and uh, we're yep. And we're, the last question on it, then you're good. Is this common throughout Prax or just uh, here at the Paps? Uh, it's just here at the Prax, the uh, the Paps, that uh, the priestesses from all the tribes gather, and there may even be a uh, respected elder from the Oasis folk. I hinted at this when I mentioned the Morakanth were welcome here, but uh, let's be really, really, really clear. I believe the Paps is the one place where it is really hard to deny a person to come. This is where uh, people have to uh, renew their herds spiritually yes. and religiously. To do so, we might even be breaking the covenant. But uh, worth mentioning. Now, uh, let's uh, carry on a tiny bit here. The interesting thing is, is uh, this is very much like the earth religions uh, when we're talking about a goddess religion. Holes in the ground are sacred to the Celtic peoples, to the Egyptians, to the Hopi. I mean, they, they took the greatest hole in the ground that they knew of, the Grand Canyon, as being the entrance into the Earth Mother herself. This is uh, where, um, and the Hopi are very much um, into spiritualism, mysticism, and magic. This is uh, where their cosmos revolves around. And as our Californian Grandmaster, our caddy trickster shaman, Greg Stafford, was uh, grabbing material. I'm pretty sure he grabbed a little bit of material from uh, the Hopi and uh, used that um, in his uh, world of Grantha. Uh, waste not, want not. Or waste a lot, <laughs> want a lot, I guess is another way of putting it. In any case, uh, obviously, um, he was uh, setting uh, the entrance of Prax as a, a hole in the ground as a way of getting into the Earth Mother um, off of many um, Earth um, precedents. Yeah. So you, you picture the Paps as some kind of oasis at the bottom of some Grand Canyon-like uh, mountain formation? I picture it as well, a little bit different than that. Perhaps uh, the trip back to Gernert, when Gernert actually... Sorry. Uh, this area was uh, named after a god by the name of Gernert, who is the god of the entire northern continent, who is now dead. Yes killed in the God Wars. Um, perhaps this is a trip back to his uh, luxury, luxurious, verdant, and rich prax, green and living. Yes, and the paths and the area around it is the most verdant and uh, fertile place in all of uh, the prax. 
Well, we've only gotten to the secret, the middle secrets, um, and uh, Kalsaprax, um, and uh, we don't see anything further beyond that, so this is speculation at the moment. Um, so that gives a bit of a uh, flavor there, like well, we're in a magical and wonderful land. Now, when you're in a magical and wonderful land, you're on a hero quest. When you're on a hero <laughs> quest, there have to be um, uh, allies and uh, tasks that one has to accomplish along the way, but facing you before you can get to the allies before you can uh, complete your tasks there are going to be foes but do, yeah. do you do you think that uh merely going to the paps like just like you know arriving with your mules and uh and, and all that that already transports you into a hero quest like usually hero quests require a ritual to start it no well, let's let's have a look at that. Uh, that's a really damn good question when it comes down to it. Um, I think that you've begun a ritual by being a believer. Like this isn't um, this is this is a long line. Like here in the Western world, a lot of people forget about it. But uh, I guess uh, in the Islamic world, when they travel to a uh, Hajj, I think their 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 entire life is leading up to that moment. Uh, so their their entire life is part of that ritual. And when they're on the plane and they're traveling to Mecca. Or Medina, I'm not really too sure exactly where it starts, uh, but one um, um, is beginning to get the whole feel of it. You arrive and you put on your uh, religious yeah. garb, and uh, you begin yeah. to breathe in the hot airs, and boom. Yeah. You're, it's a believer. It's the, it's the mind, I think. Yeah, but Biturian is just coming here to sell stuff. <laughs> uh, that's what he thinks. Yeah, well, uh, that's his religious duty, too. Well, he's, uh, he's uh, going the pilgrim's way, and every pilgrimage is a hero quest light. Okay. Let's first talk about where we are going to enter because it's getting dark. Mm -hmm. It is dark season. The pixies are dancing around now. The elves might be asleep, but uh, the pixies um, uh, tend to uh, have a little bit more energy and frivolity. So the pixies yeah. are dancing around. The lights are going down. Religious mm -hmm. chanting and prayers and songs. So, yeah, there's a uh, uh, veteran starts um, witnessing uh, the earth ritual there. Yeah. Some have speculated on BRP Central and a few other places, um, but the old Digest and the old uh, uh, DuneQuest Digest and the Agrantha Digest, that what people see when they're watching a, a quest is um, a bunch of people dressed in a mask and dr acting drunkenly. Yes. I don't agree with that. I really think that once you're there, something begins to happen. And they, they, these are not human beings. They do not have red corpuscles. They do not have DNA. They have runes at their very essence. I think the runes yeah. begin to get uh, twinged here, kind of like uh, we talk about our DNA being twinged. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. the genetic memory. Well, this is runic memory. Yes, uh, that helps. But if your runic me memory doesn't uh, resonate with the rune runes uh, active here, you don't see that much. You, you, so you believe that it would be... Uh, well. I, I, I can understand it. A bunch of drunken fools are wearing masks, though. Just so it out. Anywhere near this intriguing is what we're about to get. Well, yeah, know, uh, uh, it, a crack opens in a back wall. Silence. Yeah. And trolls and moorcats begin to file them um, in. Yeah. We've got to the point of a hero quest where you're not dealing with um, the tasks that you have to achieve. You're no longer uh, looking for your allies. Now the foes have come to uh, disrupt your uh, ceremonies. Yes. Mm -hmm. Trolls coming in, the darkness. Well, trolls hate uh, the Covenant. They hate the humans in this area. 
Well, I, I, hate is a strong word. I mean, with a nice little bit of relish, some ketchup, um, and uh, some French fries on the side, they, 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 don't, they don't really hate them. They can stomach them, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> but what, why do they dislike them in this area, then? Well, they're withholding uh, food, because uh, they are protected. Uh, lots of food. Okay. And... Uh, there was some uh, disagreement about a place further north, uh, the city of Pavis, Pavi, or yeah. <laughs> Pavis. And... Pavis, my good man. I think we discussed this. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, whatever the city of Pavis was uh, overrun by Troy. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, uh, let's all pronounce the name differently, and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> but gay Pavi. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, keep going here. <laughs> yes, and, please do not let us sidetrack you. And they, uh, what they did, uh, which was unexcusable, was to seal it off so the Praxians could no longer raid there. Uh, oh, uh, you're talking the ceiling of the walls where uh, the trolls were no longer allowed outside of Pavis into the uh, savannas, and the no, uh, began. the other way around. Uh, the uh, I mean, the city of Pavis was, uh, was always a boil on the side of the plains people, mm -hmm. except for those uh, being part of it. And when uh, Jordan finally opened it, uh, uh, the leaders of Pavis th in that time were called the 17 foes of Waha. So that clearly states that the uh, beast nomads uh, were raiding Pavis regularly. Mm -hmm. And th then came the trolls and took over. And uh, sealed out the tro uh, the beast nomads. So little love lost between those two. And here, here they come. Now they're not all coming in at once. Actually, they're coming in in waves. And uh, the first foes that will have to be fought are going to be Morakanth. And uh, yeah. Jorge asked me the awesome question. Uh, the Morakanth are part of the covenant. Uh, how do they start to attack on the holiest place? Especially if the most respected elder is yes. a Morakanth. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is intriguing, uh, but I have to admit. Well, it's a darn good question. I did a little bit of work here. Let's have a look at the Morakanth here. Number one, large. Now, large is a very small factor, but then I started thinking, now hold on. So, uh, darkness, darkness. Um, uh, now these these foes have to be foes of dark. Uh, have to be of the darkness rune. The opponent of uh, the leaves and the plants and the growing and all the rest of it that uh, Erethia worshippers are looking for in this horrible, cold, dark season that I mentioned earlier in my in the letter that uh, our hero was writing. Darkness is. Uh, and size are both, uh, this is minor, but it, it begins to continue to grow. Darkness and uh, size are contiguous in the lands of Brunquest. What are the weapons that Morakanth usually use? Mauls and spears. Well, this is kind of intriguing, I say to myself. Mauls and spears. Who else uses mauls and spears? Trolls. Okay, rather, rather cool. Nocturnal, very good uh, night sight. Um, not uh, troll vision, not troll senses or dark sense, but very good. Like there are so many ways where I'm finding parallel after parallel. They eat humans. <laughs> not uh, not as a regular basis, but um, as uh, as virtual. Point after point after point is making me think um, there's an awful lot of parallels um, between the uh, Morakanth and uh, the trolls. Yeah. I've got a little shameful secret to admit here. If you know the old uh, RuneQuest 3, Gloranthan Bestia, 
library. Mm-hmm. It has this creature on the uh, on its cover, uh, sitting on a sitting in front of a grinding stone uh, with yes. a sword in its hand. Yes. Yes. And for years, by I the way, that's the, uh, one of the areas that I use for my research. So carry on. Uh, yeah. Uh, for years, I uh, kept thinking that was a troll until I noticed the hooves. They do look like <laughs> big noses. <laughs> We should mention for the for the listeners that uh, it is indeed a Morocanth on the cover of that uh, RuneQuest 3 book. The Grant and Bester area is what it's called. Yes. Yeah. But we uh, we were ex- we were explaining why the Morocanth are attacking. We were yeah. explaining. Well, we were we were explaining why they were attacking. It's really as simple as a religious matter. Um, a foe was required. They are darkness. If absolutely necessary, a spell can be used to gather a foe. But the hero quest itself um, uh, almost um, um, gathers foes whether yeah. they want to be there or not. So, so it sounds like what you're saying is that um, when they're uh, summoning summoning uh, foes in their hero quests, like we, we know, especially from yeah, some recent uh, text published by Jeff, uh, that apparently the way it works is that when you need to summon a foe, the universe looks at other, uh, you know, cosmically compatible uh, people who are also currently in hero quests or in other uh, liminal spaces. And so based on who is currently, you know, traveling the hero planes and god planes, the universe is going to grab them and put them together with you uh, in the hero quest. So if, if there's Sounds not about en- right. Yeah, so if there's yeah. not enough trolls at this They'll moment... They'll bring something that uh, will suffice. Yeah, yeah. so if, the, if there's not enough trolls doing hero quest at the moment, they're going to bring somebody else, and so that might be the Morkans. Well, uh, if you look at an Olanthi clan ceremony, you always have these masked people who take on the rules. Uh, for example, take the initiation of Orlan, uh, where you have the evil uncles. The evil uncles, of course, are people from your clan who take the sacred masks and become the evil uncles for the ceremony. So usually, uh, if you have a ceremony, uh, some of your people volunteer to or are drafted to uh, play the part of the post which may uh, include some pummeling and... Uh, what, what, are, what are the rules of engagement in that case? Well, yeah, uh, if it's really getting into the hero questy stuff, uh, you're not no longer pummeling your friend or uh, family member, but you're uh, pummeling the deity. Oh, right. That's true. I, uh, you are not yourself at this point. So you're, you're in no danger of cutting your cousin's arm. Oh, yes, at, oh, yes at, you at, are. At worst, they get they get kicked out of the hero plane and they go back, but they still yes. have their arm. Yeah, or, or at least it will uh, will be repaired soon afterwards. Uh, okay. No, no. What what happens in the hero planes um, is very real back in uh, the uh, real planes, in many ways on many levels. Yeah. So uh, it, uh, you may take damage from that. Uh, usually, you don't. You may die, and your uh, clan might suffer for it. To put it into starter terms tribe i guess here mm-hmm. so anyway if we if we go back to the paps then the the most respected elder is acting all like oh my god morocant are attacking but she she really knew about it then i think she would be very uh, sanguine at this point and taking a look at it and going the hero quest continues as it must <laughs> if if she, if she human nature would have her reacting as you say <laughs> But um, I think she um, she would be expected to act as I say. I wonder which way she would end up going. Most respected elder, probably the latter. 
Yeah. And uh, she, she has to keep the ritual going anyway, otherwise yeah. it's going to spoil the, oh, bingo. the, the upcoming yeah. year. Uh, yeah. It, it could be bad news, and this is a bad time. Yeah. But yeah. The darkness. Yes. Well, that's interesting. Maybe maybe we have, I was going to say that we hadn't solved your question, but maybe in a way we kind of have a grant and answer for it. <laughs> it could be this, it could be this. <laughs> what I most like uh, uh, in this whole thing is that Biturian, being the salesman he is, he also still managed to kind of you know, <laughs> sell sell a bit of his uh, of his stuff. Like he he sold a, uh, a sell a bit of his stuff. <laughs> well, he sold a, he sold like a market spell to help um, uh, to help protect the area of the ritual and all that. Like I mean, Biturian, he's uh, he's a uh, he's a good he's salesman. an entrepreneur. He knows what he's doing. I just wanted to tell you one last thing that I thought was rather intriguing. Now, we're talking about the middle ground and whatnot. We have, um, as you say, our lad is a bit of an entrepreneur. He's an Aceres uh, merchant, which means that as an Aceres merchant, he, um, as lay members of many religions, um, some by uh, proxy, Orlanth, and Orlanth's wife, Rinalda. So he he wants to come in and see the ceremonies. He wants to come in and uh, learn a bit more. The trading is good, but um, knowledge. I mean, I, I have a feeling that this is a very curious individual. He wants to come in and check things out. The Turian is going to lead us to um, entering into the uh, perhaps as best he can. Well, he gets into the middle area. In the modern request, we have uh, Vasana Saga and um, Vasana's half-sister, Yanioth, who does almost the same basic thing. And, uh, when questioned about her right to be, uh, go beyond the middle seekers, she looks over and goes, I am a priestess of Rinalda. Your goddess worships um, um, is under my goddess. I'll see you later. <laughs> Walks straight in, right by everybody. Head held high, haughty, no testing. Yeah, this uh, that interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a risky move to do this uh, and walk past a bunch of Babister Gore uh, uh, soldiers and guards, uh, but uh, it paid off. If you know what you're doing and you feel confident, uh, I bet you got a little bit of rep for that. Listen, guys, you've been really generous with your time on this one. I really appreciate <laughs> it, but uh, there's much stuff to move on to. You guys have got some incredible stuff yet to come, and we've yeah. already taken up all this time. So if sure. I might, uh, can I pass this over to my um, uh, good uh, Ludo here and uh, yeah. say, sir, what have you got for us? Well, what I have is that uh, after the paps where uh, Biturian uh, had all those uh, interesting experiences and got even a couple of, uh, you know, traded spells and, and money for his trouble, he is approaching a place called uh, Tourney Altar, uh, which is an old arena or like an amphitheater from some older civilization, like people apparently don't really know what it was for, but uh, nowadays members of the Humact cult use it for uh, dueling. So uh, uh, Humact is the god of death in Glorantha, and um, he's the, the patron for um, mercenaries and soldier types. Uh, they value truth and honor, uh, but uh, well, we'll see it's a bit relative sometimes. Uh, we'll see what goes on in uh, Turne Altar. Um, so when he arrives, he heard that uh, two swords with a capital S, because that's the name for the Humacti initiates, uh, 
are going to settle a dispute. Uh, so the the two swords are uh, one of them is Alain. I'm gonna I'm gonna use the French pronunciation here. Oh, uh, please do, please do. <laughs> uh, Alain is upset at the other uh, Humacti sword called Nameless, which is an awesome name for a <laughs> for a character. Uh, and he's upset because Nameless is hiring some of Alain's followers to go on a mission in Dragon Pass. Um, may, just, I, may I ask yeah. you a question, Dudo? Yeah. Yeah. You did say initiates uh, were swords. Uh, do you mean uh, rune uh, levels or do you mean initiates? Uh, I'm, uh, uh, yeah, I think the rune lord level, uh, like to, to be called a sword, I think it's a, it's a rune lord. Yes. Not, not to call you out on that, uh, there, uh, dude, I just yeah. wanted to double check. Well, you confirmed it, so that's good enough. Awesome. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, Alain is upset because Nameless is hiring some of his followers to go to Dragon Pass, just as Alain is preparing to go uh, brew hunting in Sog's Ruin. Oh. <laughs> okay, this is a favorite name. Well, I mean, you have to understand uh, that, you know, which way would you rather go? You would rather go to Sartar, where you've got like, you know, drinks and beds and barbecue beef? Or do you want to go in some like, you know, wet and swampy ruins to hunt stinky and horny goat man? I mean, well, I if you're out. some nameless individual, who knows what you want to do? Well, I mean, either way, I'm going to Sartar. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you like it. You like the spirit of adventure. But on the other hand... <laughs> Anyway, um, so, I mean, a couple uh, interesting things. Alain has an iron armor everywhere except his left leg. Uh, uh, I don't know how he, I don't know if, if it's as it's supposed to be or if he, he lost it, the, the, no, piece, no. Uh, the, the leg piece, or? No, no, that's one of those uh, weird gears huh? uh, you can get yeah. for one of your gifts. So... Uh, Humak used to be uh, uh, infl afflicted with that. Yeah, Malio is afflicted with that even way more. I hate that term, Gaesa. You'll never catch me using it. Gaesa it is. That plural and singular. <laughs> okay. Oh, so he has a, a gist to not have armor on his left leg, you think? That's what I think, yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh, cool. More interesting, Nameless is flanked with uh, some dark troll companions who seem to be initiates of uh, Humac themselves. Um, and yes. It's, uh, it's quite unusual. Well, it's, it, it is somewhat unusual because uh, usually the troll have, first they have their own war god, which is more of a berserker type war god uh, called Zorak Zoran who, uh, on top of uh, being, you know, all angry and stuff, uh, he also routinely creates skeletons and zombies for, you know, anything, uh, you know, clean the house or whatever. And Humact hates the undead. So usually, you know, the war trolls and the war um, uh, Humacti, they don't like each other. But don't you just love the fact that there is no simple answer in Glorantha? They definitely yeah. don't go for the easy, uh, easy route. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, cool. that's one of the things I really enjoy about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, if, you, uh, if you want yeah. to more, know more about Nameless uh, background with the trolls, uh, you can tr uh, try to hunt up the history of the Temple of the Wooden Sword. Which is probably with weirder companions, gorillas. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I actually did hunt down uh, this because you told me about it. Uh, do you want to uh, uh, tell this short story or should I do it? Well, uh, I think you would do it short more, uh, short more uh, shorter than I would. Shorter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the story goes about this. I think the the the, the whole 
uh, story of the Temple of the Wooden Sword. That's from Greg Stafford's own uh, RuneQuest campaign, right? Yes. As is a gorilla. I believe the gorilla was Greg Stafford um, with a very low intelligence, which he matched yeah. by making sure he was drunk when he well, was playing uh, that, the gorilla. That was, that, was a, that was a different campaign, but yes, uh, that was the Xeno gang. Oh, uh, okay. uh, it's so the, hard to the, keep track. The, My bad. The, the aggressors in the original uh, um, Apple Lane scenario, if I remember correctly. Um, but anyway, so the, the story went a bit like this. It started with a troll named Taxag from the uh, Zastdorf uh, troll family, which is a, a big troll clan in Dragon Pass. I think they live in the Indigo Mountains. Uh, Toward so, the Turkani lands, yes. Yeah. Uh, but not, not the Indigo Mountains, but no, toward uh, the Turkani on, lands. On the Praxin okay. border, really. South of yes. the Tamori lands. Um, Carry on. But so for some reason, he was fascinated by the cult of Humact. Uh, it's not clear where he heard about it, but uh, as such, he was kind of the odd duck in his uh, in his troll clan because all <laughs> the initiates of Zorak Zoran, which we talked about uh, in his clan, uh, of course, were, you know, making fun of him and all that. Uh, and he wanted to prove to his fellow trolls uh, the, you know, the, the worth of the Humact cult. And so as he was uh, on uh, guard duty near the troll caves, he met Nameless, who um, was uh, traveling uh, nearby, and he challenged her to a Humacti duel, uh, because as we saw, like just the way Alain and Nameless are dueling to resolve things, uh, Humactis are basically duelists. They can challenge each other to a duel, which is usually to the first blood. It's not a duel to the death, it's to the first, uh, first blood, and it's supposed to be, you know, uh, honorable and all that. So he did challenge Nameless to a duel. Uh, after that, they became best buddies. Uh, he told Nameless, hey, you should, you know, come hang out uh, in these troll caves to show my uh, Zorak Zorani uh, friends that uh, Humact is also super badass. Nameless accepted. She came back with a bunch of her uh, Humacti friends. They tried to do a, a show of uh, might and force to the trolls, but apparently the trolls didn't take it very well and things went south. And both Nameless, all of her Humacti friends and Taxag had to basically run away from the uh, troll caves in uh, shame. Of course, Humactis don't do shame. So they came back. <laughs> <laughs> they came back and they slaughtered almost everybody. Uh, don't piss off a humanity. Uh, so you're asking about slaughter or adventure, Sog's uh, thing, or shame or slaughter. I think I'll take the shame. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they they came back and they won. And so um, as as, as I'd be such, a bad humac guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So as such, the, the trolls in the caves that survived, as the members of the Sassdorf clan that survived, went like, oh, yeah, well, you know, uh, Humact is not, uh, not too bad. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah. uh, Nameless uh, gained a bunch of uh, troll Humacti companions that, uh, that day, and uh, apparently she has been uh, walking around with uh, troll buddies ever since. Well, this isn't the only version of a Nod Duck you're going to find. Like, uh, and that, that is really, truly why I like Lorantha. I mean, it, a truly Odd Duck is not, a, uh, to me, a, a Humacti um, troll, but yeah. a Shlander Arroy Brew. That's an Odd Duck. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it really, um, it really <laughs> talks to, uh, I think it is a topic that is dear to Jurg's heart, which is that... Uh, uh, your cult or your species don't define you and you can you can always be a character that's out of the box like this troll humacti 
uh, and uh, uh, and there there can be like a, a vast variety of characters from all kinds of backgrounds, really. Yes, uh, I mean uh, yeah, joining a cult uh, makes you a stereotype, but that stereotype doesn't have to define all of your character. Yes, and and, uh, and I think this is this is interesting because uh, especially in these year right now where uh, Wizards of the Coast is under fire for, you know, the long history of uh, some of the racist tropes in D&D worlds with, you know, evil races and stuff like wow. that. Uh, you look I at this. Yeah. I, I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think anybody who's following uh, uh, the uh, the RPG uh, world would have missed that. But yeah, I mean, you, you look the, at... I've been ignoring the D and D world for a couple of decades now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, they they are currently uh, trying to get away from uh, you know racial intelligence modifiers on the orcs and uh, races that are inherently uh, evil alignments and stuff like that because that kind of uh, relates to um uh you know the the, the racist uh, uh reasoning that many people used on you know black people and chinese and, and all that but you look at cult of prax which is you know from 1979 and already trolls there are um uh, this you know nuanced and uh, uh and complex culture and and yeah, it was probably ahead of the ND, but it wasn't perfect uh, either. It had it had its own problems. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the humanity uh, duel between uh, Alain and Nameless. And about thinking out of outside of the box. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we'll we'll get back to this a bit, but uh, first let's see how the how the duel went. Um, so there's an arbiter uh, sword named John Dar Blackmane, who sets up the stage and, and, and makes the con- um, starts the combat. Uh, the combat starts with the you know obligatory preliminary casting of uh, magic spells as everybody uh, boosts up their um, their swords and shields and whatnot. And uh, the, the, the duel starts. So like I said, uh, it's only to the first blood, not to death, uh, which is kind of funny because Humact is the god of death, but He's also just as much the god of honor and integrity. So ah, respecting respect of death does not mean that you seek it. Yeah, exactly. He he. I I think he above all uh, dislikes um, useless Waste, death. wasteful yeah. death. Yes, yeah, I'm exactly. sure of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm positive. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, the combat you know goes uh, when eventually Alain seems to be uh, winning until Nameless summons a salamander fire elemental behind him, behind his back, and wins the duel because the salamander uh, strikes first blood. And after that, uh, Alain is upset because he thinks that was a dishonorable move. Now, knowing BRP Central and how it can argue at the drop of a hat, whether uh, the hat was, uh, was dropped or whether it jumped, whether it was pushed, and whether it was a hat to begin with. <laughs> I suppose well, that that argument never made it to a BRP Central. Well, They've argued uh, everything else about who Mac, right? Yeah. Well, may- maybe we can we can bring it with this episode. Maybe we can bring it back to life. <laughs> uh, BRP well, Central, we want to see blood. Yeah. And well, it it couldn't have been first blood. In that case, Nameless would have been lost because uh, after the oh, combat, after so the combat, get picky. She's picking up her fingers and reattaching them with heel six. No, she's not reattaching them. She's putting them in back in place. So I, th- I think she got fingers dislocated or broken, but no blood was spilled. 
Okay, yeah, shield was shorn off. Uh, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think let me let me find the exact um, <laughs> uh, the exact. Yeah, it says Nameless used healing magic to put her fingers back in place. So I understood this as fingers broken but not cut. Yeah. Which is probably why there was fingers no back in place. Yeah, that makes sense. It didn't say reattach. Yeah, I did it. Yeah. Because yeah, if it, if they were cut, I suppose Nameless would have lost. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, that's a way to read that too. Uh, I really mm -hmm. thought about it's not RuneQuest if uh, no limbs are flying about. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah. Eric, do you think do you think the uh, elemental was uh, was a fair move? Yes, uh, it wasn't uh, anybody else summoning that uh, elemental. It was nameless herself. I'm going to say that it is totally a fair move. Humact is not the god of stupid stupidity. Humact is not the god of um, lack of subtlety and nuance. He's the god of death. If uh, bringing a death up is required, why can't one use tactics and strategies? Now, honor. Honor is interesting. Um, how does one determine honor within combat? Uh, up until this point, I'm fairly confident that I'm uh, on firm ground when I'm saying that uh, you can definitely um, attack uh, from uh, subterfuge and from uh, behind and from ambush. But I do stick at the point of, uh, geez, where does honor fit into that? Yeah, well, it looks like we agree. Uh, I also think it's a legit move. Yeah. But, 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 but none of us have really answered the question of honor. Like, uh, is, is this just a loophole? Is it uh, ignored at this point or what? Uh, I think uh, it is whatever, like whoever screams the, the most or has the most support uh, is going to win in those kind of litigation. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, there are Himaki who say uh, there are Himaki, uh, who say that the only uh, really honor that ca uh, counts is death and uh, dealing it. Mm -hmm. And well, uh, there are debates inside the cult, and I don't want to uh, reopen that wound. I assume that that means that Nameless basically walked away with uh, the position that she wanted. Yeah, but before she walks away, she does this wonderfully weak retort, which is like, "Oh, you know, if you think it's this noble, let us um, let us let uh, Humact judge it." And she stands there waiting to, you know, be struck by lightning or something or whatever Humact would do, and then goes like, "Huh? See, nothing. So I guess it's legit." <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that, that that definitely does silence my honor argument. It doesn't give me a reason for it, but it silences it pretty well, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I think I need to I need to use that move on my players with NPCs. <laughs> do, do, do you think Do you think Alain tried to roll for the divine intervention and Humax re responded like, "Really, you're calling me for this?" No, uh, you can't uh, roll uh, roll for divine intervention or as an aggressive move. Uh, excuse me, uh, why can't you do it as an aggressive move? Because that would mean that the god would interact uh, would break the compromise. Um, we might have to agree to disagree on this one. Uh, we'll bring this to a newsletter um, argument because it really is off topic. But uh, I don't know about that. Anyway, let's let's well, let's he, table. He, this. he could have he could have just asked Humact to voice his opinion, but I, I guess it is. Well, that would have been a divination. Yeah, I guess. 
I think that it, there is something to be said about uh, using spell trading to be unexpected because uh, Humactees don't get uh, fire elementals like a salamander like this. Uh, so Nameless obviously got it through some spell trading. Now, where would you get spell trading from? Well, well yeah, from well, a guy like Peturian. <laughs> actually, actually, I can think of a different scenario uh, Nameless could yeah. have got that fire from. She could have stolen it in a Hero Quest challenge from a Zarak Zarani, who, uh, who got it from a ah, Yamalion. True, yeah. I mean, she could even have uh, just bought an enchanted item that contains uh, that contains a spell uh, that or something. Too. But, but yes. I mean, it's 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 nice to see those uh, mechanics used to surprise your opponents with unexpected moves. Yes. But from my point of view, it's nice to see uh, three mines um, uh, firing off fairly well here. <laughs> it sounds like we uh, we've got a couple of. Uh, couple of ideas so before we end with this chapter i was really uh interesting like we mentioned uh about the idea of uh characters who are part of a cult but are not the usual stereotype for the cult like uh, uh, you know out of the box or uh, original characters so uh i came up with uh if you're up to it a uh, a few ideas for uh, other such original or uh, you know atypical characters, just like this troll humanity. Uh, so first, uh, do you actually have examples from your games of the past, you know, twenty years? From my games, from my games, if you started playing in uh, the eighties, you had to come up with things that were wrong because there just wasn't enough material out there. Somebody was asking about a god that was uh, for soldiers, steadfast and true. The only person I could find was Polaris. Now, this was a duck character, duck character worshipping Polaris, uh, which is in the Yamel, sorry, Yelm pantheon, the solar pantheon. Um, but he wanted to be steadfast, true. He had three points of magic. He had three power. <laughs> he was not going <laughs> to become a magician in any way, shape, or form. So when I informed him, you're not going to get spells this way, he went, whack. <laughs> <laughs> you know like so um that was a bit of an odd uh, duck if, if you would but uh, back in those oh. days getting odd ducks was pretty pretty easy uh yeah. do you have any uh, examples of uh, uh, typical characters yes uh some people may uh, remember maybe fondly maybe with a dread a fictional character by martin laurie by the name of onslaught an uberhumakti uh, who had iron teeth uh, which with the attack uh, and uh, stuff like that. I remember the Iron Teeth. And, yeah, uh, I tried to uh, mix him into uh, the backstory of one of my characters and made him the slayer of his Humakti Mentor. So uh, this Humakti Mentor I had uh, was a sheathed Humakti from Esrolia, specializing in legal duels and uh, very much a womanizer. So... Absolutely nothing wrong with any of that in the Humacta I tracked, but many people would never play a Humacta like that. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I think some people uh, interpret the whole thing about Humact severing ties with everybody yes. as uh, being uh, mm -hmm. all, you know, lone wolf and brooding. Yeah. Whereas it can and... also be just, uh, yeah. Yeah. A so, great character, uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think that's a lovely idea, but it, it doesn't have to be the only one. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, was it uh, 
early hackers or like somebody from Chaosium who was playing in the Chaosium house campaign and she had a, a Humacti bodyguard for an Esrolian Earth Priestess and she was actually having an, uh, uh, an affair with the with her um, uh, employer uh, and so she was very conflicted about this ongoing affair because um, uh, it, it went <laughs> yeah. against her vows of uh, severing ties but she couldn't really bring herself to uh, uh, stop dating the the earth priests uh, so that was uh, a nice way to have a complex character yes complex yes. characters is usually the result of um, acting like a human being yeah. <laughs> um, so I've got a table of cults here. Uh, would you be up for rolling a random cult and trying to, um, or a couple random cults, and trying to uh, come up with ideas for atypical characters of those cults? Okay, let's go. Do you have your dice handy? Or do you yes, need I me do. to use it? Right. I have a dice handy. And uh, my, like D20, can... my D20 gave me a 9. Uh, I need to roll a d You need to roll a d hundred. <laughs> okay, so I'm uh, rolling the decimal, and the decimal is uh, two. Twenty nine. Twenty nine. Oh, that's humact. Roll again. We just did humact. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I put humact in this table? Okay, eighteen. Don't tell me it's uh, humact. Is... <laughs> oh wait, eighteen is waha. Waha. Okay, great. Uh, so we have a. Uh... Well, we have a butcher of Waha. What was, your, what was your California? What was your Californian explanation of the name Waha? Waha. <laughs> Waha. Yeah, it's, okay. the, it's the Warhola. So yes, uh, so Waha is of course the cult of butchers everywhere in Hjortling uh, society, and Jeff came up with this uh, very nice idea of uh, Praxian, uh, Storm, uh, Praxian Khan of Waha visiting Nordshed, going to the local temple and finding this burly uh, uh, and feisty uh, chief butcher there in charge of the temple. Mm -hmm. So, yes. So uh, what, you, what made her atypical? Well, uh, she's, a, she's, uh, she's probably a jolly uh, woman, uh, firmly in her... Uh, um, uh, city and everything, but she, uh, as a butcher, she is uh, the leading uh, person uh, of Waha in that. Oh, city. she she's the she's the friend friendly neighborhood uh, butcher shop owner. Yes, <laughs> nice. So I uh, I cheated. I prepared uh, uh, um, half a dozen uh, possible examples for uh, some of the cults we might roll. So. For Waha, I yeah, had... I don't get to roll for one. Uh, well, no, I mean I, I want to talk about Waha, but you can roll for one after. Uh, for Waha, I had a crazy idea, which is that Waha is not only the butcher, but I believe he also came out during the darkness when everybody was lost, and he basically yes. taught people how to get by. So, in addition to being yes. uh, uh, the butcher. He is kind of all, uh, also a gadgeteer. He's kind of the guy who would fix your tent and uh, <laughs> fix your uh, uh, fix your uh, backpack or whatever. So I've got this crazy idea of a, a MacGyver type character as a Waha <laughs> in shit. Doesn't quite strike any of the uh, high notes of Waha, but on the other hand, it's what you want to create. Sounds yes. like yeah, it sounds like you'd have fun with Mad Dead to play with, and that's really the bottom line, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, Bill, you want to roll for a cult? Ow. I, I was only being silly. 
Uh, if uh, we have come time, on, we, we, come we, on. We can do, do, we we can do a second one. Uh, yeah, okay, sure. well, let's, we, we let's can, go can for it. All right, we got an 80. 80. Uh, 80 is Marin Gore. Ah. Now we're talking. <laughs> I was kind of hoping that I'd get a Tycor attack, and I'll explain why, but Marin Gore will do fine. Okay. Uh, can I come up with an idea? Yeah. Sure, yes. Well, I'm afraid that I'm going to have to go a little bit uh, Praxian on your uh, butts. Like, uh, everybody talks about going medieval on your butt. I'm going to have to go Neolithic on your butt. Yeah. And go make a, make myself a Marin Gore dinosaur rider. <laughs> 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 Control species up the mm -hmm. wazoo. A master of um, riding her uh, Tyrannosaurus, uh, which he calls Rex. <laughs> it's a little baby one. It's rented later. Only stands about uh, two meters tall. Well, well, that sounds awesome. So is she riding with the bolo riders? <laughs> you know something? If she met the bolo riders, I think it could get interesting. <laughs> can we can we go look under the hood? What, what what are you driving there? Is that is that one of the new Mazdas? <laughs> it, it, it's an electric. <laughs> it's a hybrid. Yes, <laughs> we're, we're going environmental in our stone age here. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. What, have, what what have you got for uh, Marangor? Even though uh, I so, got silly. Uh, well, for Marangor, I had um, so when you look at the cults. Uh, I think one way to get a bit out of the box is to look at the requirements to join. For example, there's a whole bunch of cults that have virtually no requirements. You can be like an Ermely Foxwoman or, or Centaur or whatever, for example. Or uh, so Roy uh, Brew. No, that's got very many restrictions. Yeah. Uh, so for Marangor, uh, you're supposed to be uh, like only women are accepted unless you become a eunuch. So you could play a eunuch Marangor initiate, uh, but anyway, follow Taxag's example and be an uh, an atypical character. Um, I think we're out of time for this, so I'll I'll just say that uh, if you want to know what happened to those two humanities, uh, apparently nameless uh, after the dissolution of her Temple of the Wooden Sword, which is her uh, humanity temple, she took uh, some of the best mercenaries from that group and became a tribal champion for the Kolimar tribe. And as for Alain, we'll meet him again uh, along Bitterian's travels. Yeah, sort of. And so now Bitterian is going to Moonbroth, I believe? Yes. And, well, uh, he starts complaining that he's late because of the duel. But first, uh, well, he uh, presents... Uh, Moonbroth, and it's quite interesting how he does that. I'm quoting, Long before the coming of the Lunar Empire, the oasis of Moonbroth was an enigmatic source of wisdom and power and cracks. Even before the Red Moon was known, the oasis exhibited some of the cyclical nature of the Lunar Way. Raising its steamy jets high on each wild day and whispering prophecies of the moon to come. So, uh, yes, we have uh, a place here which uh, erupts as a geyser every seven days. And it talks about the moon to come. Uh, it's quite uh, useful on a hot day. <laughs> I have no uh, information about the temperature of the water erupting there. It could be cold, could be hot. It doesn't seem to be a volcanic geyser. So... One would imagine if it's geothermal that it's going to have to be a little bit warmer than um, the air temperature in any case. Yeah, well, it could be a tidal. Uh, it could be tidal um, in some fo some form. 
This is pretty far north, but it is the moon and it is magical. Very possible. Yeah. Uh, it could be uh, some artesian uh, water spout that only comes out on wild days. I don't know. Hmm. True enough. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, people uh, usually uh, seem to think that it's friendly to the moon. But I thought, uh, why, why not uh, give it a little bit of twist and say uh, this is the power of water spouting forth every wild day to wash away the chaos of the moon so it gets uh, dark again and not that uh, brightly chaotic red. Hmm. I mean, we, we all know that uh, water washes away chaos. Uh, it happens in the Devil's Marsh. It happens in the footprint. It happens uh, in Magasta's pool. And the moon does not have to be red in any way, shape, or form. There are already examples of the white in a blue moon. Yes, but this one is turning red, and at, uh, when it's red, it's at its most chaotic at least uh, down here, mm -hmm. and the water comes up and it turns black again. Yeah, inter interesting insight. Does the serpent uh, theory of uh, oasis and whatnot have anything to do that would tie in there? Uh, well, uh, the hydrology of Prex is quite complex, and... Scott Martin is the man behind that one. No, David, David Scott. Scott. That's right. And... Yeah, that's a quite complex uh, topic and maybe too much for today. <laughs> I need to prepare for that. No doubt. But yes, uh, the the oasis are magical places uh, in part because they uh, are the places where the water comes forth in the quite desert uh, remains of the Praxian Savannah, which now is uh, at best a step or a chaparral. Anyway, what happens in Moonbroth? What happens in Moonbroth? Well, Biturian uh, is uh, c coming a bit late to the market, and uh, well, he's uh, he, uh, he always wants to make his business uh, first, and so he uh, applies for a place in the market, and once again he finds this market is run by the Atiris cult. Now, Atiris, uh, we discussed her a little bit already, I think. He's um, the lunar version of the trade god. She's not one of the seven mothers, even though this chapter really is about the seven mothers. But she is, uh, well, the cyclical version of uh, Isaris. Kazaprex says she's a daughter of Isaris uh, who learned the secrets uh, from the red goddess herself. So uh, she, she's cyclical, so she learned the... Uh... She learned the cycles of uh, of regular sales every uh, September. <laughs> oh, good lord! <laughs> Back to school sales. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ludo, to your dungeon, young monster. To your dungeon immediately. No, <laughs> no uh, nice uh, fresh maidens for you. To your dungeon, young monster. Oh, come on! It was a good joke. <laughs> I'm dead. Okay, you made me groan. Oh, okay. It was a good joke. Okay, a report, a report to the Crimson Bed Feeders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how's this sending him to his dungeon without dinner? Good Lord, you're, you're a monster. So, yeah. Uh, one thing uh, I find interesting about this episode is how Beturian uh, uses his allied spirit uh, to get his market gossip and uh, as a stand-in when he's uh, away from his wares. 
So we learned do, that. Do do you think that uh, Bitterian really needs to get better with uh, naming his spirits? I mean, naming a, a spirit this corporate that that's really a lame name. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, the uh, the spirit is named I Whisper. So th does it does it mean that around the market you see all kind of visible spirits hovering uh, around and eavesdropping? If they're made corporate, yes. So I'm envisioning an eyeball uh, floating in space above the market and blinking every now and again. I, I assume that Biturian is far from the only one doing that. So I assume there's all kinds of weird-looking spirits hovering everywhere. And, and, yeah, and, and uh, most of them giving off a red, reddish glow, I guess, because uh, Ateris. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And well, well, the fun thing is that... Uh, uh, when he's uh, sent off to get uh, the market uh, secrets, all he gets is mm -hmm. uh, lunar propaganda translated into flawless trade talk. Now, you know that flawless trade talk is, I believe, um, what, 50%? Yeah. There is a cap on a trade talk thing as it's meant to barter, not to tell poetry. Well, uh, un unless you think that uh, bookkeeping is a form of poetry. <laughs> <laughs> But no, uh, the, this story really is about uh, Morak, Noragib's uh, little brother, and uh, the horned boy. And we don't uh, learn yet about his origin, but we learn about uh, a possible fate of his if he, uh, if he would follow the Lunars into the Empire. What we get is a missionary priestess of the Seven Mothers, who uh, who chats up uh, Noraib and especially Morak, trying to uh, co uh, convert him to her, her ways and to invite him into the empire. Apparently, mm -hmm. there horned boys and girls are um, uh, yeah uh, they leading a special life and uh, seem to have a very special role in magic and so on. And she tells about a uh, dance. Uh, which one year all of these uh, horned children do uh, for the Red Goddess. Uh, but uh, once uh, this uh, horned nature of Morak is uh, confirmed, uh, the Lunars uh, step up their uh, attempts to get him to their side. So obviously they uh, set some great store in these horned, horned children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, uh, they uh, sent a trader whose magic almost uh, persuades uh, Bitorian to sell the boy, no matter what he promised to Noragib, whom he seems to be quite friendly by this time. What kind of magic do you think he used? Uh, I'm uh, well. The easiest way would be charisma. Yeah, but the thing so. Because uh, I was thinking about charisma too, but charisma I think is a is a rune spell in Rune Quest, which means that you would. Be, I mean, there's always this debate about whether rune spells are uh, are you are they visible or are you aware of them? Like there's there's a difference between the two. I would say that a charisma spell used correctly is not going to be noticeable. You will notice, but he's uh, um, is charismatic. You'll notice that his argument is good. But I think uh, that's uh, where that's going to go. Well, basically, magic is visible. Uh, a rune spell is something that makes you like your god. So you take on the qualities of your god, and that will be noticeable. But it may it may not be uh, weird. So 
Yeah, you, you, you might notice that, uh, you know, wow, that trader is a very holy post person. Yeah, looking awesome, like, like, uh, like the pictures of Eteries that I saw, but you yes. are not aware necessarily that uh, they look that way because they're using a spell. Well, you're in uh, the temple already, and the market is the temple. Yeah. And uh, he's holier than usual, yes. True. Yeah. I'm going to assume that uh, you're, you're not going to be calling him on it and saying, don't you be using that magic on me, because also you're going to be using that magic back if you have it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's always been a, uh, a weird point about, like, how do Glorenthans consider uh all kinds of like mental manipulation yes. magic and well that's one of the big things for the lunars i can't remember where i remember seeing this but i do recall seeing one npc talking to another npc in either a module or in a rules explanation somewhere and don't you use any of that magic on me yeah mm. yes i have seen that said once but i i think uh, you saw that in the context of the lanka my cult Possibly in the story, a smell of a red. Is this quite? Is this possible? And yes, the Lanka mice, of course, are uh, very close to being god learners. Yeah, you have to think for a second that uh, some, uh, there are genres of uh, fantasy role playing that are high fantasy, where everything goes and magic is everywhere, and uh, you know, it's almost like walking through the unseely unseen court in a disc world. You know, everybody's casting spells. <laughs> Some more successful than others, of course. I could envision that if you wanted a high fantasy world of RuneQuest, you've got it. Um, you've got uh, corporeal beings all over the marketplace. You've got people um, casting spells of charisma and nobody really batting an eye, figuring, well, my turn to cast one then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the charisma spell is not that powerful anyway. <laughs> Um, it does have its, uh, it depends. Like if you cast it during negotiation, you might not have to go to war, which means it's as good as a Seaver spirit. Yeah, but I mean, in RuneQuest, what does it get you? Like plus 15%? <laughs> uh, plus 15% could be, anyway. Sorry, yeah, but it's, 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 a, it's a shy, uh, it's shy of uh, the equivalent combat spell who routinely give you plus 100% to your sword. Yeah, okay, well, those are the over-the-top over the ones. This is a matter for BRP Central, and I'm sure that you can give <laughs> a good argument there about this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, Lurik, well, have we got really far off track uh, with uh, talking about um, manifestation of magic? or we still No, no, any uh, basic no track? that's, uh, that's per uh, perfectly on track. The, cool. one thing, the one thing I want to point out is that Nora Heap uh, hints something to Biturian about the future uh, fate of the horned children after they have been doing their dances for the goddess. And that seems yeah. to be something so abhorrent uh, to both Praxian and uh, Sartorite uh, that Biturian decides to leave early and yeah, unnoticed, uh, leaving the market and its profit uh, possibilities behind. I really wonder uh, what uh, is that dreadful fate? Yeah, because like it would take something pretty big to convince a guy like Biturion to, you know, get out early of a marketplace. Or let go of a very good profit for Morag, uh, being yeah. offered more, more than he paid for both Morag and Noragib and just giving mm -hmm. away Morag. Especially when uh, you take into consideration what I just said, which is uh, he's always tried to get rid of them. 
Yeah, and even like, this, this is nothing new. This is um, the entire time he's had him. It's been yeah. how do I how do I turn him over? Yeah, yeah. and uh, even his tribe well, uh, wasn't happy to see him again. Storm bulls feared him. Now that's interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, the storm bulls were going to give him a rough time until they saw saw, saw the horns and then went, "Whoa, <laughs> okay, that's too much for us." But uh, what's that uh, awful fate that the Horn children of the Lunar Empire eventually have to face? And why does even uh, why does even a, a hardened Praxian, who uh, would have contributed to giving birth to such a child, or at mm-hmm. least her mother, her mother definitely did, what does make her flinch from this? I don't know. You tell us. I have uh, I have no idea. I'm really stumped. What can be so horrible? Now, uh, we have one real advantage here. Windwords.fm. <laughs> If we got Jörg stumped, there's got to be somebody out there that uh, might have an answer. My, yeah. my theory is that to convince Viterion, it has to be something more than just, you know, the boy would get tortured or killed or whatever. It has to be something that would have an effect on the entire like future of Beturian. So my guess is that they groom them for a year, then they make them dance for the Red Goddess, and then they are a special snack for either the Red Goddess or the Crimson Bat that makes them more powerful. It's like, you know, uh, an energy drink for the for the crimson bat or the red goddess and uh, and so it would it would make the lunars more powerful for yeah. them to get more of those uh, horned uh, yeah. people yeah. well uh, i was thinking of the red emperor uh, getting him but uh, that would be yes. a ver- very bad fate too now why would elvis want some horned kid well uh, think well, michael Jackson instead <laughs> well there you have it there are two possible explanations I'm not even going to wade in on this but let's hear yours windwards.fm send us a letter (laughs) or an audio file of course yeah Yeah. but yes uh, uh, Beturian and Noragi pack up uh, before the break of dawn and leave and maybe we will do that right now too Thank you for listening to this episode of Windwords. Our website is windwords.fm, where you can find other episodes. Reach us via email at tribe at windwords.fm for any questions or feedback. We are all us. <laughs> <laughs>